Welcome to News of the World. And here it is, the spirit of the news, which have been on uh, vacation for another four weeks in total, I think. Um, yeah, this is due to certain circumstances, reasons and other things that usually keep us from doing what we really do, do like the most, which is talking about the news. And the I'm news. talking me, Tim Fritlove, with Mark, Bicycle Mark in Amsterdam. Oh, hello. I have my bicycle mug and I'm here yes, ready to do the news. Yes, you have a bicycle mug. That's yeah. nice. It came from Slovakia. Thank you, Slovakians. For thinking of putting a bicycle on a mug. Wait, where did you get the mug from? I mean, was this yeah, some kind there, of donation? Uh, a friend of mine, actually, from Bratislava, said, I don't know why, but someone in a shop in Bratislava makes mugs with bicycles on them. And so she brought it here and said, it belongs in your house. True. And it's, it's the official mug of Citizen Reporter. <laughs> bicycle mug. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, we've been uh, on a little bit of a hiatus. I've been in, um, well, I think we did a, por uh, a, por a Portugal, a program from Portugal while I was there tending to family stuff. And then I, I was due in the U.S. So I've been in Brooklyn and Boston and whew, Washington, D.C. the last two weeks, um, visiting people, speaking at a symposium, uh, attending a wedding and trying to see what, what projects are out there for me. Uh, so that's what I was doing. And now back in Amsterdam, back at action. So the news of the world will be, I think, uh, more, more on track than it's been lately. Yes. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully yeah. so. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone out there says, yes, hopefully so, Mark and Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so here we go. Top of the list. Uh, this one. I almost missed out on. I was so busy running around in uh, in the United States where there is no news outside of the United States that I almost missed the big news out of Moscow, um, which is kind of still evolving. But two weeks ago, I believe it was on a weekend, a Sunday or Saturday, there were what have been called riots. But actually, first what happened in a, a sort of part of Moscow where a lot of migrants work and migrants, we should be more specific. I mean, it's a lot of people from former Russian republics, but not only. And uh, of course, you know, this was a major part of the former Soviet Union. So it's a lot of people and they have an outdoor market uh, as many immigrant communities can and should. And I always enjoy. And um, this is where the so-called riot took place. People came and destroyed a lot of the stalls, uh, attacked shop uh, keepers. And it comes after a what's called an ethnic uh, uh, Russian man was stabbed uh, to death uh, like a few days before. And this is a sort of some kind of reaction uh, because there's this urban legend it's not an urban legend but it's you know this populist ignorant type explanation that well it's the migrants that are criminals and dangerous and making life bad and so uh the other thing that was quite shocking about this riot uh although i don't think it's shocking when we consider how the moscow police have behaved in the past it was said that the the police weren't really doing anything to stop it from happening. Of course, afterwards, they made all kinds of statements. They sent extra uh, police in for, for uh, patrolling. But in the moment when this riot happened, it's uh, also been a, quite a shock that, of course, the, the Moscow police stay out and let things happen. Um, 
in that aftermath, even today, uh, I've been looking in the, the Moscow Times, there's little bits and pieces of, you know, who's been arrested. I think, let's see, 300 people were, under oh, no, 380 people were detained. Um, I read of 10 people being injured. Well, some, you know, pretty shocking numbers, especially when you consider 380 people being detained. Um, now, there was a little bit of an announcement from the national government saying ethnic relations are going to be local government's issue that they have to work on. It's like Putin saying, you know, you guys have to deal with this. I can't. I don't know what to make of it, really. You know, it's just, uh, is he avoiding dealing with with these issues or is this a smart way to do it? Like, let it be handled locally. And, you know, and in the Moscow Times, they give you a little photo with him appearing with other leaders wearing different kinds of what you recognize as religious and ethnic uh, clothing. So, you know, it's... It's like putting dope on the table. Uh, you know, everybody just <laughs> sits around. Look, we're having a meeting. This clearly we're onto something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in general, the overall feeling you get in from uh, Russian society these days is that, you know, it's very anti everything else, you know. And uh, it's it's homophobic. It's uh, against foreigners. It's doesn't yeah. really smell good. Uh, yeah, it's it's a common conversation here at, at my house. <laughs> um, why you know why does this happen, or or what does it all mean? You know, if it were a situation where a country was in economic collapse or turmoil, like um, has happened in oh, in France, for example, um, you know, you get this far right that rises and says, "Well, the immigrants are taking all our jobs now." I don't know if this is exactly what what is going on in this situation, but it just it doesn't seem like a comparable example. Like it just seems like Russia is its own its its own thing. It can't be compared to uh, anti-immigrant sentiment in France. It's it's I mean it's still based on ignorance, I would say, <laughs> but um, but it's it's politically it's used in a different way. Uh, it's not even necessarily one party. I, I, it's still hard for me. We definitely need like a someone to interpret what what it all is and why yeah and now russia being on the verge of being uh, the the host for the new olympic winter games in sochi this all just just doesn't doesn't add up to you know a very positive image uh, i wonder if they still think they are going to be able to project something like this uh you know the the games i mean are 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 coming no matter what and it's all sort of a done deal so uh, i think that, that will all go off without much of a hitch i mean it's created this huge campaign around the world to sort of raise awareness and try and use this moment to get the world and you know the russian government to uh change their behavior because the whole world is watching extra but i don't I don't really think much will come of this, although it's been interesting to watch, especially in the American press. Uh, I, I know a lot of activists who have never been so obsessed with Russia before. Uh, it's amazing, actually. Mm. All of a sudden, all news out of Russia matters to them because they're looking for examples where either uh, officials are oppressing, uh, especially people from the LGBT community, or they're looking for examples where change is happening. Uh, mostly they find examples where there's oppression yeah we haven't really i think that's another topic we have uh skipped and i'm not so sure you've put this uh, in the list or uh, 
on the backseat of topic somehow is the arrest of the Greenpeace activists in uh, uh, Russia. That's also. Yes. I yeah, haven't put yet it in another the list. thing. No, I, I do have a, uh, a good friend of mine, Olaf Kunz, who appears on my program sometimes, and I just had a drink with him two nights ago, and he's still, he's covered the, the Greenpeace uh, activists, and that's true, that's something I have to add to the list for, for coming weeks, because uh, I haven't really read into it in the, last, in the last weeks or so, but I, you know, I remember when this initially happened. So I'll, I'll bring an update, and actually he's a very useful person to get my information from. Okay, so let's uh, take a closer look on other countries and how they deal with foreigners. Yeah, well, wh <laughs> while I was uh, sort of looking around for, for issues, I, I opened up Der Spiegel. Just, you know, sometimes I'm looking for a specific issue, so I search by issue. But sometimes I just open different publications that I enjoy. And uh, there I saw, yesterday even, um, a three-part series about uh, it started with the issue of asylum seekers so not just not just immigrants uh but asylum seekers in hamburg uh you know where there are a thousand plus migrants who who live uh illegally and sort of you know trying to stay invisible or at least not get kicked out of the country and uh apparently in this in the recent months, uh, the police have targeted them and made it a priority to find them. And they're saying, you know, we are going to send them back. And of course, you know, the, it's the classic situation where they're being sent back if they get found to horrible situations. To you know, and even today, there's there's big news from uh, Italy or Malta where you know, Syrians landed or, or a Syrian boat was sunk and it was just migrants who didn't have enough money to pay. So the, actually the person who ran the boat just sank it, uh, for them not to get there. So it's, it's one of these situations where not, not unlike Italy, the same question should be posed to, to all countries now in Europe, especially Germany, Netherlands, uh, France. Um, you know, is this a case of, well, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, the country can't afford it. Or, or, you know, isn't there some kind of human duty? I mean, I don't know, you know, there's probably a better term for it, but uh, it's a human rights issue. You know? And so that's what their Spiegel is sort of asking within their, their three-part series. I've honestly only read the first part of the three-part series, so I also wanted to recommend it to people more so than, uh, than explain the whole thing. I'm sure many Germans listening have different stories from wherever they live about how how migrants are are treated. I mean, here in the Netherlands, there's an ongoing, this group of, I've talked about them before, um, uh, asylum seekers that have been pushed around the city for the last year or two, and they're really determined to stay together, to live. I mean, they don't necessarily want to live in the Netherlands, but they definitely want to live where they can be, you know, they can live. <laughs> yes, and I mean, this uh, whole um, thing with these uh, terrible events um, with boats uh, mm -hmm. at the Lampedusa Island, this brought it all into the news. I mean, with two boats, um, uh, with, with these two accidents in a row, with so many people dying, of course, this is making headlines. But yeah. the question always is, you know, what do headlines actually bring on the table? Of course, there was some... Um, spotlight on this issue but the question is what is it that you uh, discuss and I don't see much movement here uh, no. there are two problems two, one problem I see is the general um, question of how do you deal with asylum seekers 
and what kind of rights do you grant them? One mm -hmm. of the main problems is that once they come here, they do not have the permission to work. Without mm -hmm. the permission to work, there's no way for them to somehow, you know, get attached to society, um, do stuff for themselves. And if you look at just at the numbers of people we're talking about here, you know, this is not a problem for Germany. But it's definitely a problem for um, those people. And you make it worse because they're you're psychologically destroying them basically you know mm -hmm. because you, you you just don't feel accepted you just don't feel you know m most of them who are coming here have a very positive feeling towards germany in the first place you know like mm -hmm. the safe place they've heard so much about and they're probably more than willing to contribute you know to integrate whatever you know yeah. um uh and there's also a reason they left their countries you know it's not yeah. uh, this uh, Sometimes there's this bad word of um, I'm not so sure how to put it in English, but you know, like uh, refugee for economic reasons. You know, that's how yeah. they call them. You know, you're ah, you're not yeah. making enough money in, in in your country, so that's why you're coming here. That's most of the time not true. You know, yeah. there are far more serious reasons people uh, do leave their country and their families and everything, and uh, a better economical situation might play a role in choosing Germany. But it's not the first reason they are leaving. They are mm. leaving because they are dissatisfied for uh, with the current situation on, on, on other levels. So mm. what I want to say is that this might be just the beginning. Uh, we have this general problem of Europe living more or less on a very you know safe level in total. Yeah. Yes. And things in Africa, not that much. That much. No. And... <laughs> More and more people are going to come, you know. And now Europe is digging trenches and building walls around uh, Europe with this Frontex program and basically yeah. doing the same thing that the U.S. is uh, doing to, yeah. uh, with Latin America. Uh, and we can see how well this works. It, do it doesn't, you know. It mm. doesn't solve the problem. And on the other hand, if it comes to... Um, trade agreements and so on, Europe is putting a lot of pressure on Africa, you know, they do not allow African goods to come into Europe, protecting oh, yeah. their own uh, agrarian industry, but on the other hand uh, are, you know, basically delivering all uh, our rests and garbage. Uh, they are destroying the local markets and not giving them any chance of improving the economical situation. And that's uh, a problem. And I d still don't see the debate coming up in Europe on, you know, how can we prevent this from worsening? How, what can we actually do to uh, improve the situation in Africa so that these people are not even thinking about leaving? And, and I mean, I think there's still a lot of people on the streets here in, you know, in Amsterdam or wherever that say, well, you know, we, we, this is a separate place. This is, you know, their problems shouldn't become our problem. And I have all kinds of ways to rationalize not allowing asylum seekers. But what gets me is Europe in general, and, and I would throw in North America as well, we are involved in Africa in all kinds of ways. Yes, economically, <laughs> uh, you know, especially economically resources. So it doesn't, for me, this uh, rationalization doesn't stand that you know, we're just minding our own business and the world doesn't leave us alone. It's like, no, you're, you're heavily involved, you know. Yeah, there's crazy tariffs on 
bananas and other fruits, but minerals, you know, they can come here, no problem. So mm-hmm. it's, um, and of course, I'm like arguing against what is mostly a very ignorant uh, uh, political rationalization, but it is quite strong and it comes out at moments like this. I'm sure there are many people in Germany who vote <laughs> who are, don't want migrants, either in Hamburg or wherever, and just feel like there's no reason why they should take them. Uh, and I, I feel there's a lot of reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but that's just me. And the issue continues. And uh, yeah, I, I, I am pleased to some extent now that, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago on this program, we mentioned my friend who goes with the, the boat people, Joel von Hout, mm-hmm. and takes photos and, and brings this to life. And now again, we have Der Spiegel bringing it to life in the context of migrants living in, in German cities. I think that's really important at a time like this to, to remind people what they have in common uh, with the, these very people who are, who are struggling with their, their very existence you know, in, in, our, in our countries. Because I think so often we feel like we have nothing in common or they're so different or something like that. Let's move over to India. Yeah. Uh, you... A country uh, or a continent of, of change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one of those changes. It's actually been planned for quite a while. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't notice. Uh, it was a decision that was delayed, actually, from 2009. But it was discussed way back in the when when India first became a country, and and every 10 years it seems like it came back as a topic. There's a new state. It's called the Telangana State. It's kind of let's see. I want to say central east. Uh, if if I could. And it's actually going to have a shared capital for at least the first uh, 10 years, I believe. And that's the city of Hyderabad or Hyderabad. Sometimes I can do it American. Hyderabad <laughs> or Hyderabad. Um, Hyderabad? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I like to roll my R's. Hyderabad. Yeah. Just, and, don't, uh, let, don't, just don't let us start talking. No. Indian accent. Won't do it. No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I have to drink. Uh, but th- so there we go, you know, new state. And of course, one of the reasons it's been delayed is all the logistical complications and also the economic, uh, costs or gains and losses for neighboring states who used to have, uh, parts of the Telangana state as their, uh, you know, tax income, business income generally. So it's happened. And as a result, and that's what made the, cause this actually happened at the end of July, the state was created July 30th. Um, but now come protests. And some of these protests are so big that they really cripple uh, the region. The latest one, I think, came a couple of days ago. 30,000 power workers went on strike. So you actually had power cuts throughout the region because of the strike. Um, there have been, and this affects transport, which winds up having to shut down partially. Uh, there have been 48 hour strikes that shut down schools. Um, businesses in general, colleges. So there is not only a lot of opposition to the creation of the new state, but it's, you know, opposition that manifests itself in powerful places that make it hard to, you know, take care of the day to day. But there it is, you know, a new state, the Telangana state. I, I was yeah, very fascinating. As, as Wikipedia far as I understood entry. the reports, it's also that a lot of politicians, you know, uh, who before were sort of representing the the whole state of the Hyderabad, the Andhra Pranesh uh, uh, state, which would now be sort of reduced to Telangana, you know, probably 
fearing losing uh, power and influence here and yeah. also oppose these uh, development. But it doesn't really seem to, you know, this is just going to happen, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is happening in many ways. And, and in some ways, as I watch the articles about protests, I, I also think like this will pass. I mean, because the decision has been made. It's not a country that goes back once it, you know, changes do occur in India, which, which is always very impressive, but they don't usually go back. <laughs> they don't roll back like, all right, we cancel the plan. No, like this yeah, is going to go forward. Yeah, it's strange. And it's also, you know, it's not that, they, 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 that India is, you know, taking new land. I mean, this is just... Uh, restructuring of the the current uh, system you know it's just yeah. division of power and, and nothing more I, i should mention there are two things and you just you just touched on one actually with the division of power uh, a lot of people feel this is being done by the congress party who's in, still currently in charge although losing popularity fast uh, around the country but they've been struggling in the the state of assam and um, by dividing this state or creating a new state, it is believed they're trying to, you know, get power or, or reduce the negative effects of this region. So a lot of people are saying this is a sort of political move. I mean, I think there's always politics involved. Other people are saying now other regions are going to demand the same thing. And this is the old slippery slope thing. You can't mm -hmm. do this because uh, a bunch of other regions are going to ask, like, let's see, West Bengal... Um, and Assam, uh, apparently this is going to increase demands from them to have their own state. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I don't, I'm not too familiar with the, the struggles of these individual states, so it's kind of fascinating and new for me as I, as I read along. As far as I understand, the, all, all these current borders or many of the current borders are actually still a result of the colonial times, aren't they? Yeah, and, and what I've heard this referred to, I don't have it in front of me, but I've heard this referred to as a linguistically, you know, uh, um, contained state, or it's, it's a border that's now been drawn based on language, which mm -hmm. is not often the case. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that you could see happening, uh, or at least proposed by a lot of people saying, well, we all speak the same language, and we're living in this state where there's three other languages. Like, maybe we should be our own. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. You know, it comes from a different time. And it doesn't necessarily mean like this needs to happen, but, you know, if enough people believe we belong in our own state for our own benefits, then it could happen. Uh, but I don't think there'll be any announcement coming up anytime soon with another new state. I mean, this one's hard enough to, uh, to put into effect. Okay, so uh, you spent some time in the U.S. recently, yes. so yes. you might have some insight into <laughs> this strange period of uh, it's actually more than two weeks, wasn't it? 16 days yeah. uh, where the U.S. government was, well, shut down. That's what everybody said. Um, it was. Yeah. Was it? Uh, <laughs> was it really shut down? Uh, Well, non-essential services. Uh, so NASA, national parks, NASA didn't, and NSA still worked. Oh, I think parts of yeah, the NSA still. You got to keep <laughs> listening to phone calls. That's essential. Uh -huh. uh, once you start, you can't stop. You know. Yeah. But um, but I, you know, even the TSA, even the sacred TSA, which I was hoping would just be, not be there. <laughs> which is the uh, organization who is checking on travelers. Uh, yeah, they're the ones that touch your country. private parts and uh, <laughs> take your water away before you use it for evil. Um, I was, you know, looking forward to them just not being there. 
just walk right through the metal detectors that are off. <laughs> what a day, what a day. But uh, they, were, they were still there. But actually, I read articles about how they were being, let's see, they were being paid late. They were delayed payment. And in fact, the stress level among TSA workers was higher than ever before. And this was a very risky. So they were trying to get the government to at least pay them on time. I was just hoping they wouldn't get paid and they'd all leave. But uh, a lot of services were affected. And actually, I brought, uh, not, to, not to jump the gun too much, but the, the strike, uh, sorry, <laughs> the shutdown is now over, right? It ended with this semi-dramatic vote in, in Congress where, you know, the Republicans were trying to add all these pieces to what's called Obamacare, which is really a name we need to get rid of because, you know, in, in four more years, he's not president anymore. We're still going to call this Obamacare. Could we just call it new health care? Uh, but everybody's talking about Obamacare in the U.S. That is a huge topic, yeah. no matter where you go. And uh, most people want it. They just don't know how to get it. <laughs> uh, or the website isn't working. That's the biggest joke. Yeah. Uh, but the website wasn't working because there was a shutdown. So... But what, well, maybe uh, many, it was just popular, wasn't it? Also, also. Yes. But, but the shutdown thing, nothing was getting processed. So you were submitting your info and mm -hmm. going nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, but so a lot of Republican lawmakers were trying to add and sabotage it, really, all these extra details before they would actually fund Obamacare. And so that's kind of where the shutdown came from. There's this also this, you've heard the debt ceiling before, you know, the, they want to, the Democrats and others want to raise the debt ceiling so that the government can keep paying its bills, even though there's this growing debt. Um, so they've now agreed to raise the debt ceiling, but it only lasts until February 7th. Uh, actually the, the way who did this, uh, one of the new Al Jazeera was explaining it. Um, the U.S. government can pay for the lights to stay on until January 15th. It really says this. And they can keep paying their bills in general until February 7th, which really confuses me. So there's a month there where there's, there's, there's no more lights, but you can still pay the bills. I don't understand. <laughs> it's dark, uh, but it's not over. Uh, I don't know why they say that, but let's just say February 7th, this could happen again. Uh, so this is where it's really weird. Uh, uh -huh. Oh, and I brought along just an example of, you know, this is not harmless. And that's where, like, it's fun. Like, I love to play No Government. I mean, I was a big fan of the Belgian one year of No Government. But here we have an example of what also happens besides the fun of not having a government. Um, there's an article in, what was it, Science Mag, sciencemag.org. And it's talking about how Arctic or Antarctic research projects sponsored by the National Science Foundation uh, are all being canceled because this 16 days of shutdown was enough to uh, delay their funding and now it just won't happen. The, the funds won't be available in time, somehow, some technicality. So it's like 16 days of no government actually has a, a long-term impact on a lot of people. And of course, many people will know the international worry. Uh, Ch I think China was worried, uh, a lot of countries, because the U.S., has still to pay off a certain, I mean, of course, it never pays off its, all of its debt, but a lot of governments are invested in the U.S. being able to pay bills to be, you know, yeah. that it owes and otherwise. So the whole world is sort of tied to the madness that happens in this U.S. Congress. There was especially China and, and uh, um, 
Japan. Yeah, who have Japan invested a lot in uh, in the US, and they really become very nervous. And yeah. I think there was, I mean, nobody. I think nobody really expected that that there wouldn't be any conclusion, and you know, so it was clear that this is going to come to some kind of resolution. The only question that was open was, you know, how much of a win would is there going to be for the Republicans if at all? I mean, I think my impression is they've basically lost, but yeah. how do you see that? I mean, what's no. the, uh, how does I mean, the U S society look at this? The, the word is, and I definitely felt this, although I was only on the East coast. And as we know, red, blue States, I was in the blue States. Um, but the feeling was that the people in Congress especially Republicans, more specifically Tea Party Republicans, which are really strong these days, they're crazy and they're willing to shut down the government to because they just won't accept Obamacare, even though it's been approved and people want it. Uh, th that these guys are daring and they don't care that they'll do this. And you can tell them, you know, globally, the impact. I mean, the, the U.S.'s credit rating was going to be downgraded. I think it still is from, I don't know, what, double A, triple A. I think it's got already gone down one letter. I don't know, C, D, E. Yeah, but once, e you're the, once you're this, the world currency, it doesn't really matter that much. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Mm. But um, uh, so the feeling has been that the Republicans are really coming like they're crazy on this one they've really done a bad thing they're being reckless they're being selfish uh that's the word and and it's not, not just my analysis i mean a lot of that comes from actually mainstream press who also say this was a major loss for the republicans i guess they thought it might be a win because they'll take a stand and say like we're shutting down this government because they you know you can't just keep increasing your debt and you, this Obamacare unacceptable. Um, so I think they were gambling that people would really enjoy this. And maybe somewhere there were people going like, good, a shutdown. That's what they deserve, you know, but for the most part, people were not happy. Yeah. And I read that, that this uh, whole period cost the American economy something in the ballpark of uh, 24 billion US dollars. I don't know if this is a, you know, uh, a number you can actually play around with you know yeah, just being coined uh, out of nowhere but there has been loss i mean yeah it means contracts were not fulfilled things were not paid and as you pointed out some things got in trouble just due to critical timing because if things are not happening until a certain date it just won't happen at all so this is not good and is it going to repeat next february well, everybody says, no, it won't happen again. They won't let it. But uh, I still see a lot of crazy people who are very self-absorbed. And I'm not just talking about Republicans. Um, and they, I think they would do it again. But the word in the press and from a lot of lawmakers is that, it, oh, it won't happen. We'll find some resolution before February. Hmm. I even heard that the... I guess before they, they approve every year of Burning Man and the, the site that the National Park Service wasn't uh, functioning, so they couldn't approve of the, the place for Burning Man this year or for next year, and this is could affect Burning Man. I don't know. I, I guess that's going to be okay in the end because 16 days has passed and 
they'll get back to work. But even uh, Burning Man. <laughs> but I think Burning Man, uh, if they don't have an approved place, they would just probably go there. Uh, <laughs> could not. <laughs> I don't think they can expect police caps, you know, police cars <laughs> showing up, arresting everybody in the desert. Yeah. The only police cars are the ones with like a dinosaur in the front. <laughs> 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 sirens go off oh this is cool this is cool oh no we're under arrest <laughs> okay yeah. let's uh go to the south a bit yeah uh, this one this one made me think of you a little bit tim not oh, that yeah. everything cuba is is related to Saint <laughs> love but um many people who have traveled to cuba now i have not tim has i have yes and they've got this i mean it's a two currency system right tim there's the there's the Cuban why have, you, why have you never been to Cuba? Never a project that would pay for my trip. But you, I mean, could you go there? I mean, what's the deal yeah. with Americans entering Cuba? Oh, uh, I, I would go as a Portuguese citizen. I would keep my, my American oh, yeah, passport. Okay, I would that's... probably leave it home, actually. Yes. Yeah. Good idea. So I could go from the Netherlands because the Dutch love to go to Cuba. Yes. They're not the only ones. Yeah. <laughs> so, that might be cheap flights also. I know. Well, I know. I'll, I'll get on it. Try it. It's a it's an amazing country. Oh, nevertheless, yeah. could be annoying, you, but it's amazing. For you, what year was it when you went? Uh two thousand. It's been a while. Oh wow. Okay. So, and at that time, they had this. I mean, it's a two currency system, right? Yes, they have the peso and the peso. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have a choice. <laughs> yeah, there, there's. Um, it's the two peso system. The one peso was call, called the uh, peso nacional. And the other was called the Pesa Combatible, which was basically yeah. U.S. dollars, but that's not right. how they called it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was a weird system. So basically, they had these two currencies, and the one the 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 Combatible was, you know, of course, the U.S. dollar was the one you used to buy stuff at supermarkets. So it was basically what everybody, who, all the foreigners, uh, were using, and all those who somehow had money uh, but the only source you could get it from is the tourists so people who are working in the tourist industry of course um, by you know somehow getting money from tourists or whoever was collecting uh, money on the street one way or the other that's how you could survive and get to the goods that were interesting while the peso was it really peso nacional peso local um, I forgot what the term was but you know you get the point and yeah. um, that was like the ordinary local currency that uh, normal food was paid for. That was where you get your um, these, um, you know, um, how you call these uh, uh, donations by the state for buying food. Oh yeah, like food subsidies. Uh, yeah, uh, the, yeah, that kind of stuff. So that was all in 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 this currency. And from what I understood, that that what you know could use it for or pay your mm -hmm. rent and stuff so this is going to end yeah it's been you know after 19 years uh raul castro's government has announced uh goodbye to both of these actually and they're going to create the unified peso <laughs> and uh, they don't say when it's coming but it's coming and the idea is to get this whole this two currency system, which you've kind of pointed out, you know, one was more for foreigners, one was more for certain things. They say, you know, the as a result of this two currency system, which I don't think they plan to have, they just didn't plan well enough in the past for, for how to move forward, um, increased this gap between the wealthy and the poor, 
And so they're hoping that having one unified peso, or let's see what it's going to be called, no announcement yet, uh, will eh, make things a little more understandable on the ground and, uh, well, not allow inequality to grow any further just because of currency. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are already doubting that this will work because they're not saying when. Uh, but I see, you know, they, this is part of this whole. Uh, campaign to modernize Cuba after, well, look, a long era of <laughs> two currencies and other hypocrisies when it comes to what you can do, what you can't do, uh, and who can do it. Yeah, Cuba is still, it's still this country that you, I don't really know what to, to make of it, but it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I mean, <laughs> imagine How long is this revolution ago now? Is it 50, 50 years? We're well over 50 years, yeah. yeah. And they're still there. <laughs> they couldn't be any closer to the, to, to the USA. Yeah. You know, it's more or less just around the corner, although there's still a bit of Atlantic in between, uh, which yeah. has probably helped. And they even have the US military on their country, you know. They have... Uh, Guantanamo, which is a part of yes. Cuba, which is yes. so crazy when you think about it. 1959 was you know, here. And, and of course, Cuba has been condemned of being the evil and, 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 and whatnot, and communists, and so on. But if you look at the details, there are so many things that are really fascinating about Cuba, like the, the medical system. Uh, you know, the, 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 just the sheer amount, the quantity of, and quality of doctors they have produced. Once mm -hmm. you are focusing on a good healthcare system, it can actually work even in a country that is so poor and, and, and so far away uh, from the world economy just because of all the sanctions being put out by, by the US. You know, it's totally in the hands of the US to improve the situation in Cuba. They just don't want to. And mm -hmm. I'm very so, it's, it's one of those things. Um, that's really disappointing about uh, Obama's reign that they that he hasn't achieved anything in this regard. You know, there's no improvement in the uh, relationship between the U.S. and Cuba, and I don't really understand why. You know, it's just old so, stories. I mean, some small steps have come, but uh, that doesn't take away from what you're saying. I mean, they're small. Like, I think a few flights or the possibility of traveling there... Uh, has gone up compared to what it was. And the other thing was, I think they've opened it up more for money in terms of sending money to your family in Cuba or something. I mean, I understand. These are still very tiny steps. Yeah, it's nothing. And I, I mean, <laughs> what's the deal with those sanctions at all? I mean, what has Cuba done? <laughs> are they? Uh, do they have um, atomic <laughs> weapons, nuclear <laughs> facilities like North Korea? No. You know, are they are on the verge of destroying America? No. Are they funding international terrorism? Well, we don't know, but has anything happened? You know, is there any, anything going on in the last 40 years that could be traced back to, to Cuba significantly? No. Mm. You know, mm. are people suffering there? Yes. Can the U.S. do something about it? Yes. So what are they waiting for i don't i don't get it you know and um <laughs> there's so much to learn from from cuba for the u.s uh, it's not only the medical situation uh, I, i probably said this here 
already in one of our former shows. But when I was traveling throughout Cuba, the amazing thing that you get is everybody can read and write. Mm -hmm. People are really educated and there are no slums mm -hmm. in Cuba. Huh. People are living in poor conditions. You know, I'm not saying everybody, but th there are many reasons for this. But if you look throughout Latin America, wherever you go, you have favelas, you have slums, and you have it even in, in supposedly rich countries like Venezuela yeah. uh, and Brazil. And this is not part of the Cuban landscape. They have actually achieved something there. And the US is not recognizing uh, this at all in, in, when they are talking about Cuba. I don't get that. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I just point out now, uh, if you Google Cuban Revolution, which was 1959, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, of course, first you get, you get Cuban Revolution, the Wikipedia entry, the real. The second result is the Cuban Revolution restaurant and bar. That's, and then the third result is history again. Yeah, they can work is, really on their uh, internet presence but, somehow. But this is sort of the story of of what has become of you know the Cuban Revolution, <laughs> uh, at least in popular culture. And it's like, yes, you know, actually it happened, and actually these achievements and and this happened. And then on the other hand, it's a bunch of commercials and and that the rest of the world uses. Yeah, but isn't it crazy? Like sixty years ago, you know. Yeah. They yeah. started. They started uh, their way. I mean, it took them six years to to succeed, but he kept pushing. And this yeah. guy is still around. You know, when I was yeah. there in 2000, everyone was saying like, "Yeah, you know, Fidel Castro, he's never going to die." Right. And, and he, like, this guy doesn't die, and <laughs> that's what he's doing. He, he, he doesn't. Yeah, and it's been a number of years, but everybody, when Fidel Castro stepped down, everybody was like. Oh, this is it. This is now the end. And it's like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, uh, so there it is. Uh, stay tuned for the unified peso and, and more advancements in, uh, in Cuba. Uh, all right. Here's one at the end today of today's program that has been covered in uh, some of the bigger press, but I had to bring it because I find it fascinating. You've heard that Japan has low birth rates. And there's all kind of, of course, concerns about this for the country itself, for the labor market, uh, also to pay for all the retirees that will soon uh, join or leave the workforce. But new research shows that not only are the birth rates low, actually the rates of relationships and sex, people's interest in sex, is really plummeting in Japan. Uh, both among women and men, different reasons. Uh, men uh, don't like, the, you know, say it's uncomfortable moments that happen, uh, strange feelings, bad feelings. Women say men aren't interested. Uh, they, they avoid them. Uh, and so what a late, like a recent post in the Washington Post's Worldviews blog, uh, which is actually today's news source as well. I'll, I'll mention that after this. But... Um, they talk about how this is actually a danger for the world economy uh, for a lot of the reasons we just discussed with the U.S. shutdown, only the opposite way. Uh, you know, as, as a country that is so reliant on exports and uh, uh, with a labor force that is so important, you know, no children, 
not not even sex going on the you know depression levels the suicide this is this is a psychological medical and economic problem japan um so i found this very fascinating it's it's you know I think a novelty article sometimes, you know, like, oh, the Japanese aren't aren't so much into sex. But <sighs> yeah. I think it's I think it's an important issue, this whole and it's all yeah. part of some bigger okay. thing. I, what I don't really get is why they are not interested in sex. That that's uh, that I don't get. But seeing, you know, a decreasing population <laughs> as, as a problem, uh, not so much. Especially in Japan, you know, this little island has far too many people living here already. <laughs> I mean, it's not the Bangladesh way of things, but it's crowded, you know. And everybody knows that that Japanese society uh, is already a very densely populated um, area and a very densely populated group of people. And people don't have space. They don't have you know, for sex, they're usually going into what's the name for it? Love hotels, or yeah, there's some there's, kind of Japanese there's a whole term, industry, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, because you just can't do it at home, you know, uh, not only because the walls don't really deserve the name wall, uh, huh. because it's all <laughs> rice paper, um, it's um. It's just impossible because because you're usually living in one room and you're usually living in one room with other people uh, together and any any sufficiently spaced flat like what we're used to in uh, in Europe and, and America of course you know is just luxury in, in in Japan so in the long run less people would be just very helpful. Hmm. I I think this. Also, this thing of culture, and, and here you, you need someone who's much better schooled on Japanese culture than myself. I mean, I've been there, and I've just been an observer, of course, and I like to read the news. But culturally, what's acceptable and not acceptable for both men and women, especially women, you know, I think there's a lot of, what do you call that, expectations of what you, you do as a woman, what you don't do. And this article in, in the Washington Post says, uh, you know, even though women are in the workforce, it's often unacceptable for them to do both career and family, have kids. Uh, so they choose one or the other, and more and more are just choosing career. Uh, but then, on the other hand, you have these statistics that they show, which still need more explanation, I think, that, let me see, um, men, where's the interest part? Uh, oh, yeah, the extremely high number of Japanese do not find sex appealing. 45% of women... And 25% of men ages 16 to 24 are not interested in or despise sexual contact. Like it's annoying, like it's uh, awkward. And, you know, I think there's something there where culturally, I don't know if it's tradition or it's something new, but it's all kind of awkward. And I think we know, especially when you're younger, hopefully, <laughs> not when you're older, how awkward it can all be. Either you don't feel confident about yourself or you're afraid to do the wrong thing, especially it's, it involves somebody else, right? Um, but it seems like the Japanese never, this just goes on and on. You get older and you're still kind of scared and, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, mm, I don't know how to behave. Uh, this. So you just avoid it. You stay away from it. That, and you bring up, you know, love hotels and more than that. You know, when I was in Tokyo, I noticed these maid bars where you, uh, a businessman is, it's targeted towards businessmen and you go in and 
waitresses act like you're made, but it's it's far creepier because they give you like a foot massage and apparently they dress sexy and it's like, welcome home, dear. And, you know, clearly this is <sighs> filling some need that is not somehow being fulfilled and maybe, I don't know, even know if it's a very healthy need, but you have these whole industries now being built around psychological <sighs> shortcomings, you know? Mm. Um, and, and so this is interesting and yeah, I think that, that, uh, there's, there's really something to this, this issue, something bigger that, that maybe academics need to more, get more involved in, uh, what to do about it, how to break down these walls. What was the, um, you know, I did a few interviews back in my, in my time in, in Japan and one of them was about how you do not, let's see, you'd never get an apartment with roommates. It's just not done. In mm-hmm. Japan, it's not acceptable. It's weird. So you either live at home or you live alone, and so they really need a lot of apartments because you do not take roommates. You do not share. Uh, and this is again. I mean, this doesn't talk about sex necessarily or relationships, but it does show you a little something about how different that society is from a pl- you know societies where you you maybe you share a house or you live together or whatever it is. So. No more sex in Japan. <laughs> that sounds like a title of a song. Yeah, I mean, that's the country of hentai and all those you know, weird sexual cultural expressions. It's, it's really amazing. I yeah. wonder how, how long it takes to take for this trend to take over in uh, the US. <laughs> uh, yeah, now you're laughing. Yeah, yeah. I am. I am. I don't think it would ever. I don't know. No. I mean, there's segments of the country that would that would go this way, but not not the whole country. Which one? The the middle one? Yeah, I think, you know, amongst I'm going to target the religious here. I think amongst the very religious who say, you know, sex is evil and I mean not evil, but yeah. Yeah, unless you're married. Right. And know. even then, it's like there's only certain acceptable ways to do this. Yeah, but um, then they're usually putting out tons of kids <laughs> yes yes true. so true. that's just not happening in japan uh, yeah. these yeah, days at least that is different you're right you're okay right. yeah okay <laughs> so uh j- just to to put the the final touches on today's uh, news of the world this is of course also connected to the uh news source for this week a very easy one but one that i find very diverse and pretty interesting you got the world views blog which is part of the Washington Post. Washington Post, by the way, not so long ago, bought by the owner of Amazon. Huh? Mm. Jeff Bezos. Yes. So soon you'll be, order, you'll be able to order your underwear and get your news about lack of sex <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the news source for this week, right? Yeah, the Worldviews blog. Check it out. It's, it's good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that... <laughs> as far as we're concerned, is all the news that's fit to know for, for this past week and actually the past weeks because we missed out on some of these big ones. I think we've, we've caught up on them now. Yeah, some, some at least. We we'll <laughs> probably have to dive uh, into the Greenpeace situation, which is yeah. still not over, and uh, I'm pretty sure other weird yeah. stuff is going to come up. Yeah, so we'll be back with you, I expect, uh, next week, right, Tim? Yes, Cool. Okay. And in the meantime, of course, the uh, website newsoftheworld.com, uh, or you can just Google us and you can yes. leave comments or you can tweet, whatever it is you like to do. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Just and, do uh, it. And we'll catch you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Press the stop button. <laughs>